So I think we believe that no one can do it as well as we can. But in all reality, and you may feel that's true. And I can tell you'd be rock star status in my world. I can already (laughs) tell. But in all reality, can we do all the things all the time for all eternity? No. So I'm not doing my best work when I'm multitasking, running here, running there, one meeting, back to back. I think delegating is hard at the outset, but it is so beautiful in the long run. And I'm on the journey. I'm early in the journey. So I'm not there yet, but I'm opening myself up to the possibility of what it can be. And I like how it's looking. I like how it's feeling. You're listening to the Leader's Lab with Dr. Charity TV. Welcome to the Leaders Lab, the podcast created to help millennial multi-passionate entrepreneurs build, organize, launch, and manage their online brands and businesses without losing balance. And now, here's your host, the digital organization development consultant, cross-cultural communications specialist, and your favorite global leader, Dr. Charity C. Campbell. Hey, 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 Entre Leaders. Happy Wednesday and welcome to another episode of the Leaders Lab podcast. If you are new here, I am your host, Dr. Charity C. Campbell, better known as Dr. C. And I am a doctor of management, a world-class millennial global leader, an academic professional, and a multi-passionate entrepreneur. Here in the Leaders Lab, we talk all things Entre Leadership, where we take entrepreneurship, and leadership concepts, and we marry the two together. We also talk about communication. And one of the most important things is balance as a millennial professional. And in today's episode, our very special guest is here to discuss business ownership, diversifying your income, and work-life balance. Now, let me tell you a little bit about her. Julia Napini is a clinical and forensic social worker who owns a counseling practice as well as a consulting business where she helps clinicians to start, grow, and diversify their private practices. She loves sharing how fulfilling and a balanced life is possible as a social worker while earning a living that can exceed your expectations. Now, listen, I know you are here for the money and you are here for learning how you can earn a living that exceeds your expectations, no matter what field you are in. So Entre Leaders, do me a favor. Please help me to give a warm welcome to the Leaders Lab, to Julia Napini. Welcome to the Leaders Lab, love. Thank you so much. That was a beautiful intro and I am thrilled to be here. It's my pleasure. I'm pretty excited. Before we actually started the episode, we just had great girl talk. We were just naturally talking, having fun. And one of the things that I could tell is you're not like a stressed out person. At least it it doesn't seem like it right now. But is that one of the reasons why work-life balance has been one of the things that you focus on because you know how to hide stress really well or you just know how to avoid it? So I think it's not necessarily about hiding stress. I think it's about acknowledging Mm -hmm. when it's creeping up and learning what you need to do as an individual to manage it, because for all of us, it's different. So I'm tapping into mine, but it is an ongoing work in progress. But I'm helping people do this all the time. So in my clinical work, these are things that I'm advising my clients to try. And who would I be if I wasn't trying to implement those in my own life? One of the things about me, I've always lived a high-stress life, and it's because I'm a multi-passionate. I have always had multiple things going on at once. I'm crying out loud. When I was in school, even in high school, I had a job. I, I had so I really had a lot going on, and it just followed me all the way into adulthood. And all of these things brought on a lot of stress every single time. I think I had a bad relationship with it because I don't know about you, but for me, when I'm stressed out, food is my comfort, okay? Food and Netflix. Y'all know your girl is nice and meaty, okay? So I didn't get meaty. I didn't get meaty. You worked for that. <laughs> I worked I worked for this physique. I worked for this. but I And that was the thing. I worked for it during stressful periods. And it was very important for me to learn work-life balance. I did okay with it when I kept going throughout my educational career and the jobs that I had on the side. But it's a different ballgame when you're talking about running a business 
and you have side hustles and things going on too while you're running a business Mm -hmm. and you're trying to be balanced and have a personal life so that you don't go crazy and add in some self-care and everything. It's something that I have to write it on my calendar at times so I can remember. How do you maintain work-life balance while you're running a business? First of all, I feel like you're my soul sister. So when you (laughs) being a multi-passionate, I need to add that to my resume. I couldn't agree more. So I could never find one job that fulfilled everything I was looking for. I feel like the models that I had early on, I had a mom who never stopped. So my Mm. role model was always going. So I feel like now when I take a step back, I want to be able to do this because I love it so much. And I know that if I don't find that balance, what is the point? I have a daughter. I want to set a good example for her. I want her to know the sky is the limit. She can do anything under the sun, but I don't want her to see her mom working nonstop. I want her to know work's important. It serves its purpose. She loves it. She has a job where she feels like she's not really working because there's so much passion that drives it. But I want to be there for her life. And especially in those years where she still wants me around, thank goodness. Plus, I also feel like I need to set an example for my staff. So I created a counseling Mm. practice with the mission of taking all the things that I disliked about working for community health, mental health, working for the hierarchy of a hospital, working for somebody else's group practice. I wanted to create the practice I wanted to work for. I wanted people to have flexibility and autonomy and to be able to utilize all of their strengths and eat well. Because when I was in school to become a social worker, all the messages that I received were that you're never going to make any money. So I didn't get into this for the paycheck at the outset, but we have to earn a living. We should be able to enjoy our lives. So I'm defying that. And I I want to forward to anybody who will listen. I love it. I love the fact that she said, I am defying that. She's letting you know right now that she's breaking all the rules and (laughs) recreating them to fit her new norm. And I think that's okay. Especially now, like maybe that's where most of our stress comes from is because we try to take old modalities, old mindsets and old rules and apply them to our lives today, to our schedules today, to the way we want to run our businesses today. And that's stressful because you could be creating this based on what someone else has done. And since we're all different anyway, our personalities are different. What works for one will might not work for you. Absolutely. And I am such a firm believer in pausing and saying, wait a minute, does this still work for me in my life now? Just because that's how my mom lived or that's Just because that's how someone else's path to success played out, that doesn't necessarily have to be mine. And we have to figure that out. It takes a lot of self-reflection. It takes a lot of hard work. I'm constantly learning and reading and talking. And so it's still a process. That's why they call it a journey. But everyone's different. I love that. I love that question. And I love the fact that you said to pause. Mm. Because why would you ask yourself these questions while you're still going? You're not going to fully be able to concentrate or focus on the process of figuring out what's really authentic for you. This year or last year? The years really are running into each other by now. Like sometimes I still feel like 2021. I'm just like, bro, time, slow down. What's Mm -hmm. going on? He's just, he is running, okay? But it was either last year or this year, I started doing a series for my Monday motivational live streams. I started doing a series on authenticity. And I did this whole thing about how, first of all, you have to be kinder to yourself. We expect to be kind to other people, but we're still like so trashy with ourselves. And the way you feel about your business, the way you feel about your job, if you're still in a job, the way you feel about just you overall. And the more authentic you are to yourself, the more honest your answers will be when you pause and ask yourself those questions like, okay, do I even want to do this? Does this work for me? Or is it something that I heard or somebody told me that I would be good at? And it's really not my thing. What do you think about that? And especially for those of us that can be natural people pleasers. I've been a part of that club my whole life. So I feel like there's a there where if you continue to live your life for everyone else or what they yeah. believe is right, 
that is a very unfulfilling existence. And in my life right around 30, where I had to take that serious pause and say, is this the direction I want to be headed? Is this life and making these choices going to get me where I want to be? And I made some significant changes and never yes, looked back. I love it. Listen, I have a, I call her like a little sister who just turned 30 this past Sunday. And I told her, I said, honey, welcome to the 30s. Welcome to, I call them thriving 30s. I said, welcome to the decade where you might've been a people pleaser in your 20s and you might've really cared about people's approval and what people think. But in your 30s, something just, it it snaps for you when you realize that the people who Now, of course, we care about some opinions. Those are the ones that really matter, like your mentors, your coaches, your consultants. They're rooting for you, and they can be in that camp. Yes, but the ones who don't pay your bills, but they have something to say about everything, they're very critical, or they're just, they're confused. (laughs) They're confused about every single step in life that you're making, and they want to ask you about it, have a little trivia quiz. We don't have time for that, because Mm -hmm. we're making moves forward. And if you are, you're basically becoming a distraction. I know you probably genuinely care about me and you probably genuinely want me to have your opinion about what's happening in my life. Yes. But it can be misguided. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. So it's okay. Cause in your thirties, you know how to say no, thank you. In your thirties, I don't know what it is, but you just be like, listen, I got a couple of decades under my belt. Mm-hmm. And I'm going into this new one. And I'm really looking forward to my 40s, which will be in a couple of years. I'm looking forward to my 40s because then I'm really going to be... you. <laughs> I need to this. I clearly have some more work to do to get on your level. But we're in the same stage in life. And I think another piece that you're speaking to is that prior to 30, you feel somewhat invincible. You know the mm. depth, but you're not spending a lot of your time dwelling on it from my experience. Yeah. When you yeah. turn 30, like you said, I got some years under my belt, a couple decades, but I think you also recognize that life is not forever and you start yeah. to really consider what truly matters and what does yes. not. And I feel like I can sift it better. So the things that can flow through, I'm okay with them flowing through and you have more that. wisdom and life experience yeah. to maintain that perspective. I love all of that because that's exactly true. It's in your 20s, you do feel like you're a little bit invincible. You feel like despite what's going on in our world today, you're going to live forever. But in your 30s, it's not saying, oh, death is near. No, we don't think that way. But you know what's going to happen? We might have lost some people in our lives. Relationships might have ended at that point. And a death doesn't necessarily mean a physical death either. There are so many relationships that die. And there's this, it's just, death is basically a separation. And there's so many things that, like you said, we have relationships that fall off. We have friendships that fall off. We have all these things. And so the older and more mature we become, the more aware of all of the emotions and the feelings and the processes that come along with that. So I feel like this authenticity and this awareness helps us to be able to better, I don't want to say create a plan for work-life balance, but to prioritize. Great word. Prioritize. That was it right there. I think all of the experiences that we have and that we go through, especially when you're in your thirties, is yeah, no, I need to prioritize my mental health and the things that we need to do. I need to prioritize these things because life is not going to last forever. And I want to make sure that by the time I do leave this world, that I am not regretful. I want to make sure that by the time I leave, that I have spent time with people who truly need me and I need them. I have made an impact or left an influence somewhere. Like I want to have left my mark. Yes. Legacy. I couldn't agree more. I think there's a lot more consideration as far as how you want the remainder of your time to go. And we hear that cliche, live in the moment. I understand the sentiment behind that now more than ever. Mm-hmm. You live every day like it could be your last. You're going to fill it with the people that truly matter to you, the ones that are engaging in reciprocal relationships. So not just yeah. the speakers, the people who, even though it's not always going to be an equal 50-50 balance, they mm-hmm. genuinely have your best interest in mind. And I think coming mm-hmm. back to the stress piece, I'm better at identifying where I want to put my energy. Before, mm-hmm. it was like anything that was brought to the table was something that was at the forefront of my mind. And I had to deal with this and deal with that. I'm better at delegating. Okay. I'm better at deciding where I'm best served. So if I put my energy here and I have someone help me with this, I'm better at asking for help. That's another big piece. That was a prideful thing for me. It was really hard to acknowledge that. I always believed that was weakness. 
It's not weakness. It's a strength because then you can just do more of your best work. I feel attacked. I feel attacked in a good way, but bad way, (laughs) but like good way. I feel like you are all over here right now. Oh, it's not a, it's not a weakness. You need some help and you need some help. Get your help. And I'm just like, what if you have those people in your life that are willing to help you? What a gift. Because then it's a shared experience and then there will be opportunities for you to help as well. And I also feel vulnerability is a big piece. I've learned in my own life when I share and I'm real and I'm authentic and I maintain integrity, the people in my life open up too. They Mm -hmm. share, they acknowledge when they're struggling and that's where connection and an actual relationship and not just surface, you get deeper. Yeah. That has enhanced the quality of my relationship so much. So I feel like they all go hand in hand. Wow. You sound pretty wise. You got some wisdom. (laughs) It wasn't all for nothing. All those struggles and roadblocks. Hey, if they got me here and I have something to share that resonates with someone, then it was all worth it. But I think speaking to that, so why do I do all of this? And so I think first and foremost, got into social work because I wanted to help was told I wasn't going to make any money. That didn't stop me. So it was deciding between teaching and social work. And I ultimately, if I go the social work route, I can still teach, but I'm going to have that person and environment and I'm going to have those resources and that knowledge to share with someone. And I chose social work versus just strictly mental health because the relationships were really what intrigued me. So Mm -hmm. I grew up in a family of three siblings. I'm the oldest. I have two younger brothers. And I was fascinated that the three Mm -hmm. of us could be so so different growing up in the same home with the same parents and that ultimately our experiences were very different and we could not be more different, but we are all incredible human beings in our own right. And I have so much more appreciation for each of my brothers and their differences now more than ever. So that's what got me into social work. I wanted to figure out the family dynamics and why we became the way we did. And then from there, I went through a divorce. So that whole experience shaped every aspect of my life. So when I said 30, Mm. made the decision, I was going to walk away from that marriage, but we have a daughter together. So I have been actively working on co-parenting as successfully as I can for the past six years. So that led me into forensic social work. So that is really about help individuals who are either separating or divorcing. So I mediate divorces and then even post divorce when they have children. And they're struggling with the parenting plan, right? So when we come up with a separation agreement, when we're getting divorced, we can't account for everything that life's going to throw our way, especially when it comes to kids. So I I conflict parents that come to me and they just can't work it out themselves for a variety of reasons. I come into play. I try to help them communicate more effectively, come to agreements and compromise on their own, keep their children at the forefront of their mind. And then they ultimately can't get there. I have the binding authority from the courts to make a decision on their behalf and ultimately on the behalf of their children. So it prevents them from in and out of court all the time. So that's where forensic social work came to be. And then that's powerful. Yeah. Cause you know, I was going to ask you what is forensic social work? That's powerful. Yeah. So forensic social work encompasses all of those aspects of family law that we as mental health professionals can still practice with guidance and training and education. So I had to complete a mediation training, trainings on intimate partner violence, trainings on parenting coordination specifically, because it is a process. And you're working with people who can't stand each other. They don't have those skills, or if they do have those skills, and some of them do, they cannot utilize them when they are in the moment, emotionally triggered, when that other person has set them off because they know all the buttons to push. So I really try to help them get there in that moment. And some are successful and some are not. But even those who will never get there, they know they have someone they can call me to say, yeah, we need a decision. Can you please just make one for us? And they trust wow. and have faith that it's going to be what's best for their children. Even if they don't wow. agree, they're always going to end up making someone mad. <laughs> so you're allowed legally to step in and be the sound counsel, the wise counsel, and make decisions for these parties who, for whatever reason, through triggers or through, you know, just serious pain from the the process of divorce and unmet expectations, disappointments, all of those things like that, you're able to step in and make decisions for them, like lifestyle decisions for them. Absolutely. Yeah. And so the goal is obviously to help them get there themselves, but unfortunately it is a process in whatever time frame the court has a 
pointed me for. Yeah. It's not enough. So my hope is they get some skills that they can utilize once I'm no longer involved, but yeah. Yeah. Have you ever had a situation where you stepped in and you made the best plan, you gave the best advice, and sometime afterwards, they came back and said, thank you so much for what you tried to help us to do. But we just, we have so many irreconcilable differences that we just hate each other. We just can't get along. Or has it been the exact opposite? Every single person has always come back and said, thank you so much for doing what you know, I couldn't do at the time. I think it's more of the first. So you very rarely get positive feedback throughout the process because in all reality, you have to decide. One parent is usually getting their way. And so what you try to do is be mindful and keep it as balanced as you can. Okay. So mom got the last one. Is there any way that dad can have maybe some more say in this next situation? And as much Mm. as you try at the end of the day, it's so clear when there are aspects, I call it parent mind and spouse mind. When you get divorced, if you're not able to detach from that spouse mind and it's going to influence choices about your children, then it's very clear that the children's best interest is not at the forefront of their mind. And as much as you delicately try to point that out to some of these parents, they have that wall up and sometimes you're able to break it down and sometimes you're not. But what I can say that people often say about me, my process and the work I do is, Julia, you're fair you listen and really try to understand me, even if I'm not ultimately happy with the decision you made in this particular instance, I know you're keeping my children's best interest in mind and they appreciate the efforts and having that person. So they're not in this alone, because what tends to happen if they don't have someone like us in these particular cases, they are in and out of court litigating for the remainder of their children's lives until they have some sort of independence. And what does that do to children? So my sole purpose is I want to minimize the impact of conflict on children. And even though I never meet the children in this process, that's the goal. Because if I can help mom and dad or mom and mom or dad and dad work that out with me and learn some Mm -hmm. skills, then hopefully Mm -hmm. the kids are never even aware of it. And they just know, okay, you're able to do this activity and they don't know all that went into it and that dad didn't want them to and he wasn't willing to bring them and he didn't want to pay. They just know you get to go. So sometimes that has to be enough for me to know that good work is being done, even if I'm not always hearing that from the parties. Yeah, yeah. So when did you decide to create your own practice? Did you always say, hey, I want to do forensic social work and I wanted to be my own practice? I would say no to all of that. So I knew I wanted to be a social worker, but I did not have in my mind my own practice. So I knew I wanted to get independently licensed because I knew that would afford me so many more opportunities and that that was like the peak. And so I'm all about checking the boxes and getting those goals met. So I knew independent licensure and I knew private practice was an option with that, but I did not necessarily think private practice. So I worked in community mental health. So I was a therapist for an agency. And in that situation, you take whatever clients they throw your way. And it's great for exposure and experience and to learn who your ideal client is and who is not but you don't get paid well. Typically you have to meet a certain quota in order to get benefits. So if you don't meet that quota for a month, you lose your health insurance coverage. You don't earn your time off. It's very micromanaged. So you have to follow regulations very heavily, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but when you're new in your career, it can feel like a lot. Yeah. So it was a great opportunity to learn. That was not where I was destined to be forever. Then I transitioned to a group practice that was not my own. So I got to experience what it was like having a little bit more of that flexibility and being able to select clients. But I didn't Mm -hmm. feel like I was compensated fairly, especially when I got to the point where I was bringing in a lot of referrals. My clients were referring their friends and family and rock star with paperwork. Adjust my percentage a little bit. I've been here for this amount of time. These are all the things I feel I've done that warrant it. They said no. So that was my ticket. So I ultimately decided I am going to establish a practice and grow. I started off solo, not thinking I was going to hire anyone, but I ended up deciding to do that because I felt like I had created a really good system. I had found a health record that I loved. I had created the notelets that felt good to me and met criteria. I was doing great work with clients. The referrals were more than I could handle. So I started in 2017. By 2000, I brought on two women who I knew in the field 
but had not had any clinical experience. They had Mm. all of the skills and qualifications and I knew they'd be phenomenal therapists, but they just needed somebody to mentor them. They needed that supervision and that opportunity because if they had applied somewhere, they would have said, you've never done any counseling. We're not bringing you on. I knew that they had those skills and I could be that consult for them. That So I brought them on. I knew their goal was to start their own practices someday. So I mentored them. And they were wonderful. They did great work and they learned some of the business side. And then they both successfully Mm -hmm. went on to start their own practices. So at that point, I was like, I've got all the systems in place. I have more referrals still than I know what to do with. I've specialized a little bit. Why not bring people on? I love to teach. I love the supervision. I love the consultation. And private practice can be lonely. So I like to have a group and that collegiality and team. I started hiring and I didn't stop. In the last year, we have grown to 12 clinicians. We have two interns. We have an administrative assistant and a biller. So it's just exploded. But I feel like such quality work is being done. I have these incredible clinicians that are really meeting the needs of the community. Not only are we providing individual, family, couples counseling, they offer workshops, groups. We're really interested in what the community need is. So we still network and reach out to different agencies and go into schools and what can we do to serve your population? And then we do That's the best amazing. We can to meet the needs. So it's an incredible group. That's amazing. And so you have this thriving business now where you're still active in it and you're also coaching and training others to... That's a newer endeavor and it excites me. Yeah, so sky's the limit. Let's keep going. Not only have I seen what counseling has done for me and what it's done Mm -hmm. for these clinicians, but now I want to blast through that ceiling. It's what I was told in social work school is the complete opposite. I didn't know forensic social work was a thing. I had no idea what private practice could look like. I didn't know what it could feel like to work in a team where there isn't that micromanagement, strengths are being encouraged, people are getting paid well, you can get benefits out of private practice. All of these things, now that I know it, I want to spread the word. And so bringing on interns has been wonderful because we get to give them that experience while they're in school to decide if private practice is right for them. They get to experiment with the groups and the workshops. They get to learn more about forensic social work. They get that consulting experience as well. So there are several Mm -hmm. that have said, I want to start a practice. And I'm like, this is a great place for you. Because when I left the group practice prior to starting my own, I was met with a lot of resistance. And even though I felt totally justified because I said, in my work product, I want to stay with you, but you're not willing to work with me. Yeah. Leave gave adequate notice and transitioned all my clients. They were not supportive. And I wanted to do the opposite. So I start off the conversation when I'm going to hire someone or bring on an intern and say, what are your goals? Where do you want to be in the future? I want to have an open dialogue with you throughout your employment so that I can help you on that path, whatever it is. Wow. That's powerful to have that, to have that mentality and that open, that open transparency with them to say, listen, I know your goal is not to stay with me forever. So let me know what your starting goal is and your end goal. And Mm -hmm. let's see how we can go from point A to point Z and I can support you. I feel like people would appreciate that. Yes, the vast majority have. So I think it also ties back to the work-life balance piece. I've achieved it or I'm actively working on maintaining it. I want that for other people. And so they decide what that looks like for them. Who am I to say what that looks like? As much as we still have certain criteria, you have to see a certain number of clients in order to be considered Mm full-time. There's flexibility. There's understanding. I try to be very reasonable, Mm -hmm. approachable. All of those things that I didn't necessarily experience in past places of employment. Wow, you're amazing. You sound like you sound like the perfect employer to have. Oh, yeah, girls here speak for that. <laughs> but in all reality, I have to say that if the incredible work they're doing and the mm-hmm. fact that they have been willing to continue to do that work, even though we've gone through some growing pains and some changes we're considering opening a second location. And we've, there's so much that's happened and they've all wow. stuck with me and given me really honest feedback and wow. continue to rock it. If that's any indication. It is. <laughs> it's the proof. That. It's the proof and the pudding. That's what that is. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. So I feel like 
now that things are somewhat running smoothly, we've got good systems. I have people I can trust that are helping me, asking for help. That was huge. This was a new thing. So I feel like now I can devote more time to the forensic social work because that's my passion and the consulting. I want to help people create this for themselves, whatever that looks like. And I will say there's a lot to consider. There is so much that goes on behind the scenes that I now appreciate more my experience in community mental health and my experience at the group practice because I was so naive. I'm going in there and I'm seeing my clients. I'm not realizing all that they're doing to make sure things run smoothly for me. I get it now. So even though I made the right choice and starting my own practice was absolutely right for me, all of that was invaluable. And I hope to convey that to these clinicians that I'm working with either as consultants or my staff, you're going to go off on your own. Then let's go through these criteria. I actually created these quizzes. Are you ready to start a private practice? Are you ready to expand your practice? And it includes all these things to think about that are not at the forefront of most people's minds. We don't get business training in graduate school when you're going to be a counselor. So, but we're required when we start a business to know all of the state, the local, the federal laws, to be in compliance. There's this new level of responsibility and liability that you're, you have some protection when you work for someone. It's your business. You can't just say, Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I wasn't sure about that and get a, a wrist slap. Hand slap. You needed to know these things. And so you have to do your due diligence and you are now business owner, right? That's your primary hat. And so even though you're a clinician and you may have phenomenal clinical skills, that's not going to carry you solely in a business. And if you're thinking about expanding down the line, there are things you can do early on that are going to set you up for success where if you just, I'm sick of my job, I need to do it. You jump ship and you don't really think it through. You could create a lot more work for yourself and cost a lot more money, pay a lot more money than you anticipated. So you said that there are some serious things to consider Mm -hmm. when you're trying to open up your own private practice as a licensed clinician or a licensed therapist, social worker. So could you tell us like maybe three of the things to consider? What are some of the things? Maybe two or three. You don't have to tell us all of them. Sure. The things that are at the forefront of my mind are with that liability, I think it's important to differentiate your personal assets from your business assets. And so Mm, that selecting a business entity, that can be choosing a name for your business that is not your name, that is an actual business name. Things like that were important considerations. So I had to meet with an attorney and an accountant and get their advice on what business entity was the correct one and what forms I had to file and how am I going to save the most in taxes and what makes the most sense based on my business. So I think that's a big one. I think secondly, what is your vision? Because I'll tell you, I could literally sit my butt in this chair every second of every day and not get everything done. So it's never ending when you own a business. You could always be doing more to market and spread the word and do the numbers. So I think you have to be really clear on why you're doing it and maintain Mm -hmm. that focus throughout so that you can prioritize the word you chose that was perfect and be open to delegating. You know, we don't have to do it all. That's a curse word here in the leaders (laughs) lab. You just use profanity. Oh, profanity. You use profanity because we're still learning how to delegate. Same here. I I have a little story about that. So I have an intern who is the epitome of an incredible human being, clinician, She's just, I call all of my clinicians rock stars. She's just a rock star. Okay. And it was an unpaid internship when she started. And she came to me midway through and she was like, Julia, like my personal stuff is not your stuff, but I need a paid internship. And I run the risk of having to leave if we can't work something out. I made her my assistant. She's an office manager now. And she could not have been more grateful. And I know it was the best decision because I had to accept that if we're going to expand and if I'm going to continue to hire and I'm going to do consulting and I'm still going to see clients for forensic social work and I want to enjoy this summer with my daughter, I need a go-to. I need a right-hand person. And she's the perfect person for that. I wasn't going to lose her and lose that opportunity. So this is the first time I've ever had to hire someone in that role and I'm still adjusting, but I feel like it was the right thing. And I am going to be delegating like it's nobody's business. I got my list here and I'm comfortable with it if it's the last thing I do. Andra Leaders, did you hear the intensity with which she said the D word? I mean, she did it on, I heard, I felt it. I literally felt the vibrations uh, hitting the way you said it. And I'm going to be delegating. Oh, she made sure. It is okay. It is. It's a beautiful <sighs> thing. 
And we're not less of a person because we do it. I'm going to allow her to shine. It's helping her. It's helping me. It helps the practice. I have to say it so that I believe it. The more I talk about it, the more I'm going to embrace it. I love it. Listen, you are me and I am you, okay? Mm -hmm. The more I say it, the more I begin to believe it. So I totally get that. But let me ask you about expansion really quickly because, and then we can go back to the other tips because I haven't forgotten about them. Okay. But I just don't want to forget about the expansion part because you mentioned that you started with an intern. You started with an intern and then because of the need that she did have, you you graduated her into a paid position. I've had interns. Okay. Part of the issue was me because I was just too busy to train. And the other part of the issue was they didn't have enough experience to at least start on some level. It was a complete newbie level, which for me is not, it doesn't work for me. So would you recommend that someone starts with an intern when they're trying to, or start with a virtual assistant that, you know, is maybe a contractor and they have some experience, but I don't know. Great question. I think in my particular line of work, starting with a virtual assistant, 100% makes the most sense because very quickly you are going to find that having someone answer the phones or respond to emails that is not you is extremely beneficial because if I'm always the one answering the phone and I'm building relationships with referral sources, it is going to be nearly impossible. It was nearly impossible for me to say no. And in order to achieve that work-life balance and take care of ourselves and avoid burnout, we need that middle person. Not need, but it is so beneficial to have that middle person to say, Julia's not taking new clients right now, but we have this other clinician who is fabulous. And this is why I think you would be a great fit for her. So that, I also think having someone else do the things, intake paperwork, scheduling, they keep things running smoothly on the administrative level. So I can be earning my hourly rate in session with someone, paying them a fraction of that so that I can continue to do the work that I love. And honestly, Mm -hmm. the administrative stuff is not everybody's favorite. So I would say assistant first, the intern, you make a great point. I need to make the distinction that I think part of the reason why this intern has worked so well, she is in her mid thirties. She's a mom. She's lived some life. So she's not a newbie. And I think that was a big difference because she brought so much with her to this experience. She had done administrative work before. She had done case management before. She came in eager to learn and open to feedback, which is so important to me, but she brought so much to the table to work with. So I do think it's different. You're right. If you're taking on a newbie, I think they can be fabulous. They're moldable and you can shake them. You have the time to do that. And we don't always have that. No, we don't. I think that's the thing. They have potential and they seem like they have good personality, the pleasant personality when starting out, but there's a lack of initiative. Yeah. There's a lack of initiative depending. And God forbid, if you're working with interns from a different culture, like I have been doing, all yeah. of my interns have been from either different countries in Africa or right here in China. Okay. And yeah, it's a, it's uh-huh, it's a An different layer of challenge there. Um, like five, uh, <laughs> five layers. Like five <laughs> thick layers of yeah. challenges. So I understand you brought up something and I never thought to have an intern who is more mature. Mm-hmm. I usually think, okay, you get the interns that are fresh in college, like not even out of college. They're fresh in college. They're looking for that experience, but they don't have that sense of responsibility nor accountability. That's the biggest thing, responsibility yeah. and accountability. And that's why I was like, let me just ask her. But I love that. Yeah. And it actually made a light bulb go off. Yeah. I think the piece too is with her being a homeowner and a mom and she's in graduate school. And I believe she's the first in her family to be at this level. There's pride. And you're absolutely right. She's accountable. And yeah. he came and she she brings it. She really does. So I'm excited. I literally just made the decision to hire her yesterday. So this is still very new. So we're ah. both doing a happy dance. <laughs> You're going to be one of the new besties, the one of our new podcast besties here at the Leaders Lab. So you're going to have to come back in season three. I'm just oh, saying. I love it. You're going to have to come back in season three and then you can give us an update yes, uh, about how are. everything is going. Yes. And hopefully by that time, I will have gotten my delegation life together. Let's Please just do. I'll just keep sending you emails with the D word. Let's not. <laughs> let's not. Okay. Don't do that to me because I'm going to be like, no. It's got to be. A- no, Julia. Let's not do that. Can but I ask you for a minute? 
why is that word so hard? What comes to you when you hear that word? So I think we believe that no one can do it as well as we can. But in all reality, and you may feel that's true. And I can tell you'd be rock star status in my world. I can already (laughs) tell. But in all reality, can we do all the things all the time for all eternity? No. So I'm not doing my best work when I'm multitasking, running here, running there, one meeting, back to back. I think delegating is hard at the outset, but it is so beautiful in the long run. And I'm on the journey. I'm early in the journey. So I'm not there yet, but I'm opening myself up to the possibility of what it can be. And I like how it's looking. I like how it's feeling. So the reason why I should have actually taken the camera off my face and just put it all on you because I realized I was like, oh, girl, you making faces. You making faces. Hide your face. But no, it's just for the past couple of months, all the guests who've been coming on the podcast have been, most of them have been talking about scaling your business and delegating and getting the right people and all of this stuff. And I'm just like, are all of y'all connect? Are all of y'all just sitting in one big virtual waiting room like to come to the Leaders Lab and saying, okay, make sure you talk about delegation. Make sure you do this. She doesn't like it. Make sure you talk about this. I'm just like, okay, God, I get the point. I get Mm -hmm. the picture. So it's on my to-do list. That's what I'm going to say. It's on my to-do list. It's on my Take that to-do list and parse it out to other people. Bring that to-do list down. Yeah, I feel you. So in all honesty, same here. I feel like we get that message everywhere. It's in every group and it's on every podcast and it's in every self-help book. So why is that? Because it really is the way. If you are ever going to get to a place where you're going to thrive and not just survive. You know, there was a time when I felt like the universe was throwing all of these opportunities at me. And I'm like, okay, I can't. So you have to like come back to yourself and say, Mm. what really matters? Who am I going to ask for help? And I need to make some changes. And I think if you get comfortable with delegating, you may not necessarily always have to get to that point where you do that reflection, the ongoing thing. It's like, okay, we're going to keep it balanced. I'm not going to fill my sack way too heavy. The whole like on a plane, you got to put your mask before you can help someone else. Yeah. It's true. We're only our best okay. selves when we're taking care of ourselves and we can't be expected to do everything 100% all the time. Especially those of us, and I can tell you're one of them, you give 150%. So you're giving 150% to every single thing, that leaves nothing in the tank. Not a drop. Yeah. You're like, I want to get to the finish line and I have a victory dance. I don't want to be dragging myself the whole way there. All right. Okay. I, all right. Accountability part. All right. We're going to keep in touch. Is that face again? It is. And I'm trying to be like, Charity, don't do that. Don't do that. They can see it. But yep. it's okay. It's yeah. I on the inside, yeah. I I welcome it. On the inside, I welcome it. Yeah. I would say maybe about 75% of me does. The other 25% is just that's it. Like no words. Like that's it right there. But Something that you said that really just, it clicked for me is that you were having all of these opportunities come to you and how can you manage everything? And so the first thing that came to my mind when you said that was my previous spiritual father used to always say, you can't get ready when you're already supposed to be ready. You need to get ready before you need to be ready. And for... The man was deep. Okay. And so he would always say, he would always say, you need to get ready before you need to be ready because when an opportunity comes, it's coming for whoever is prepared. And so if I am going to get someone and at least start with one solid person, an executive assistant or or whoever, and give them all the tasks that I really don't want to do, I need to probably give them the tasks that I I do want to do because I love doing so many things and it's give something away. So have you heard about that? Make the three columns. So track everything you do for a day, for a week, and then you have to column them out. So what are the things that you love? that light your fire, that you feel passionate about, or that only you can do? What are the things that aren't necessarily you? You don't hate them. And what are the tasks you absolutely despise? And you give column two and three to someone else. And then what would that feel like? Oh my gosh, you would have energy and time and you could just keep growing and evolving and doing more of those things you love and have that confidence. Once you get that person up to that level, the confidence that they're doing it. And now they're just checking in with you. And here's the thing about delegating. It's not just delegating. You ultimately want to find someone that's going to take it to the finish line. Because I end up getting to a point where I'm still the one making all the decisions, telling everybody what I need, checking in, how's it going? We ultimately need people on our team that are just going to take it and run with it. And that takes trust. That takes time. It's a process to get there, but it's so worth it. So I want to check in with you a little bit down the line to see how you're doing with the D word. 
Oh, thank you. Okay. She said the D word. All right. I just, cause I was cringing. I was like, she's going to say it. She's going to say it. Thank you. You didn't say it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Check on me by the end of the year. End of the year. You can do that. Uh, yeah. And let's see what happens. Yeah. Let's see if you don't cringe at the word and you're the one throwing it out. Hey, let me tell you what I did and who I gave that task to. You know, those people who like, they're all against something until they have some success with it. And then they turn into these crazy evangelists about it. And they want to preach to everybody. They be like, you need to do this. I did this and it changed my life. It is, I don't want to be that person. Am I like, cross like that right now? Because if so, I need to check myself. <laughs> No, okay. no. If you feel like it, I don't know. I didn't no. know you. I didn't know you before you started this process, but wow, you have such an amazing story and all of the experience and you have a thriving business. So I'm really excited for you. And I want you to be able to tell the people like, how can they connect with you moving forward? What's the best way for them to contact you? So the consulting business is Compassionate Consulting Company. So that is the website. And there is a contact me page on there. So that is one way. I'm sure you're going to share my email address. Feel free to anyone out directly to that. You're right on. (laughs) Compassionate Counseling Company is the counseling practice. So we're located in Southeastern Massachusetts. So we're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn, but if you want to talk to me directly, if you have any specific questions, if you want to learn more about consulting or counseling or social work or any of those things, feel free to reach out to me directly by email. That's awesome. So you all make sure that you do connect with her, especially now I know quite a few of my friends who've been here on the Leaders Lab podcast where you're in mental health, you are going into your own practice and things like that. I would want you to connect with her just so that you can get some insight. She has the experience as well as you do. I like putting people together who are all awesome, but they're just all awesome. And so make sure you all, if you're watching this, you know who you are. Make sure that you definitely connect with each other and see what types of collaborations you can do. I mean, you all can be like mental health Avengers. Come on, we can do this. (laughs) We can do this. So I I have one final question, Julia. And I ask this question to every guest that comes to the Leaders Lab. What is one characteristic or one trait that you believe that every leader, no matter the industry, must have? Great question. I would say passion. And I think that is what carries me. That's what brings the energy. That's what gets me through when I'm challenged. Mm -hmm. That's what keeps me striving. And I think my clinicians, my consulting clients, my clients in the work I do, that's Mm -hmm. what they resonate with. They can tell that I don't just do this for a job. I do it because I genuinely love it. And I have a passion for it. And I think any leader who can maintain that, harness that, and convey that is going to have more success in their business. Nice. Excellent. Thank you so much. Listen, Julia, it's been a treat having you here in the Leaders Lab with us. Honestly, there's some guests that you have to come on a podcast and you're just like listening and listening and listening and they bring value. They do. They bring value, but you're just listening and listening and you want to have just like this natural like girl talk, like boss babe girl talk. And I feel like that's what we just had. I feel like that's what we just had. And like I said, you're going to be on the podcast bestie list. Okay. And that means that you must come back for season three. And so you could give us an update about your new assistant and also about how your business is going. And so I could tell you about my new assistant by that time. Yeah, I love that. Oh, Dr. C, you have wowed me. You are such a gem. It has been so fun learning more about Look at you're now hiding the face. Yeah, I would love to. <laughs> you just got too excited. You got too excited. You were, you did one of my moves. Yes, that's what yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah. That's how you're, I felt. You're originally from North Carolina. When you said that, I wanted to go, North Carolina, come on and raise up. But I held back, and now I feel like I can do that with you. <laughs> Girl, I love you. You are just amazing. Oh, my this goodness. This is a great time. What a way. So it's Friday for me. So what a way to round yeah. out my week. This is a highlight. I love it. I'm so happy. And listen, Entre Leaders, make sure you connect with her or let me know in the comments below what was your biggest takeaway from today's episode. You can watch it as many times as you want. Thank you. You can listen as many times as you want because you should download the episode. But let us know. Like, we want to hear from you. What was the best thing that you took away from this? 
and let us know what else you might want to hear. If you've heard something that was said today, you applied it and you got the results that you were looking for or even positively unexpected results, we need to hear about that because those are called receipts, okay? That's proof and we want that. We want that and not just for me here in the Leaders Lab, but I want to give it to her as well. I need to give it to Julia because she's the one who brought the valuable content. I just provided a lab. <laughs> I just provided a lab. She came with the valuable content and all of the wisdom. So let us know because we would love to hear from you. And so Julia, once again, I want to say thank you so much for being in the Leaders Lab with us on today. Thank you for all you do. And thank you all for listening. Excellent. All right, ladies and gentlemen. We made it through another episode of the Leaders Lab podcast. Can you believe it? We are very soon coming up on, get this, the 100th episode. Can you believe it? I can't. I'm just like, consistency, and we're doing it only once a week. I know some people, they do their podcast two, three, four, five times daily. And so they reach 100 much quicker than we have. But no, consistency has been the thing for us because as a multi-passionate, we have a lot on our plates. So I think if we could be consistent with once a week, we're doing really good. And so we are almost at episode 100 and I am excited. And I just, I'm, I'm so grateful that you all have been rocking with me this whole time. Like you guys have been so amazing. You are the reason why I continue to show up. Your consistency keeps me accountable. And so I just want to say thank you so much again. And if you haven't done so already, you know what to do. Go ahead and subscribe to the Leaders Lab podcast. Download today's episode, rate, comment, and share so that we can continue reaching millennial entre leaders all across the globe. And of course, you can connect with me everywhere on social media with the handle at Dr. Charity TV. And if you have any questions or you would like to be a guest on the show, then you can send an email right here. It's on the screen to the Leaders Lab podcast at drcharitytv.com and someone will respond in a timely manner. So that's all that I have for you on today. Thank you so much for tuning in and I'll catch you next week in the lab. Thank you for listening to the Leaders Lab podcast. Visit our website at www.drcharitytv.com and follow us on all social media platforms with at Dr. Charity TV.